Hello and welcome to the Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast, the fortnightly podcast that explores self-awareness, leader effectiveness and leadership at all levels. Join me, your host, Nia Thomas, as we talk to today's Knowing Self, Knowing Others guest. I'm really pleased to be joined today by Sheila Walsh and some of you may have already seen Sheila on LinkedIn because um, she posts video clips which I absolutely love. Sheila is a leadership and management specialist and at the moment she's in the middle of a PhD looking at inclusive leadership through the lens of psychology. This is something that really, really interests me and our listeners as well in terms of how self-awareness fits. But without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Sheila to introduce herself. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Um, So as you said, my name is Sheila Walsh. I am based in Dublin in Ireland but I work both online and travel a lot anywhere between the UK, Europe kind of are the main places. Um, I'm in private practice about 11 years now, which is based on coaching psychology. And I've done a lot of work with leaders, both formal training, development and coaching. And that's kind of what, what, what led me to the conversation, this conversation with you today, Mia. Amazing. The foundation of psychology, and I think when we're talking about self-awareness and relationships, that's most definitely where it's at. How do you define self-awareness? So for me, self-awareness has has two prongs to it. So one is my awareness of myself, and then one is my awareness of how myself is experienced by others. How does that, in, in terms of your experience of working with leaders, how does that look like, sound like, feel like? How does that manifest? So in a couple of ways, I suppose the first one is that our level of self-awareness So, as a leader will give us data. And if we're missing some internal self-awareness, we're missing some data to make good decisions. But in my experience, if we miss that internal self-awareness, we often then also miss the external awareness of how people perceive us. So without that piece of data, we can make a lot of assumptions and we can communicate ineffectively without meaning to. And so I think for leaders, look, there's a lot of attention in self-help on self-awareness, right? So there's been a lot over the last 10, 15 years saying, you know, build your self-awareness, know yourself. And so a lot of the leaders I meet do have a degree of that. Um, Some have loads, some have a a functional degree. What I find can be a barrier is often when we think we have self-awareness and when we say, oh, but I know myself really well. Often when that comes up in conversation, I find that we probably have a blind spot that has become blind because of our self-awareness, because we learned something about ourselves we didn't know before. We now might think there's not more to know. So I see this kind of dichotomy around self-awareness where if somebody, even when I was saying, oh, I have self-awareness, but also when I see others say, oh, I have self-awareness, I'm often like, but do you? Because when we have it and we're active in it, we usually know we don't know everything about ourselves or others. So there's always this unknown knowing. And so for me, there's kind of an early stage of self-awareness where we think we know what we know, but we don't actually know that we have blind spots yet or how big they are or how active they are. So for me, there's kind of this like journey about when you first work with self-awareness versus what I would say, I have a mature relationship, which means I know there's a massive gap between what I know and what I think I know about myself. Whereas before I thought the gap was smaller, but the more awareness I get, the bigger the gap. And the awareness that there's a bigger gap. 
um, there. So for me, it's like a weird dichotomy. You know, the more I know myself, the more I know I don't know myself. Absolutely. I was just thinking of the same phrase that, yeah, it's that as when you become more self-aware, you realise that you know very little. And I think it's that that gap, isn't it? And as you were talking, I was thinking, absolutely, it's that journey of you start with a little bit of awareness and you increase it and increase it. Um, and as one of my other guests was saying, that it's about continuing on that journey that as you change, as you develop, as you have different experiences in the world, your self-awareness is going to change because you change as a person. You said earlier that um, some of your clients come to you with a little bit of self-awareness do you think that to come to coaching to realize that you will benefit from coaching you have to have a little bit of self-awareness no okay so no I think one of the predictors for successful coaching is your readiness for change and I think that's more closely linked to how activated your defenses are and how um, equipped you are to integrate new knowledge about yourself or parts of yourself you've exiled or denied. And the self-awareness itself doesn't dictate that. It's actually, in my experience, it's your defences, it's your readiness for change, and that they ha- they're a bigger predictor of, of how helpful coaching will be than how much you know. In fact, sometimes people come to coaching because they have to for different reasons, And they have very little awareness and they think it's a load of crap. And then actually the amount of awareness they develop in a very short period of time, over 12 weeks, would never have been developed if they didn't come with so little. So so sometimes it's actually the very start of someone's self-awareness beyond intellectualizing self or kind of like reading a book and applying it, like actual internal knowledge of self. The start can be in coaching. Now, that's really interesting. So maybe the journey is kicked off by a need for change as opposed to a need for self-awareness and actually self-awareness just might be uncovered as part of that change yeah and and I think it also depends the type of coaching so um because I work with a psychodynamic systemic lens um self-awareness is part of the way I coach so um for a couple of reasons one the client will bring the reasons but other times I'm reflecting you said this, but your behavior contradicts it. So can we explore what's happening in that tension? And that can help people see, oh, I didn't think there was a contradiction, but now that somebody's reflected it to me, I can see something about myself I didn't before. And so I think people start self-awareness from different places and for different reasons. I don't think that's always the goal for people, but I think it's part of most people's transformational journeys, even if it wasn't the goal. Do you think there's a relationship between self-awareness and leader effectiveness? Yes and no. So, okay. So the reason I say no is that some people are effective leaders because they learn the rules of the game and they play the game politically very well. And that's why we see kind of like increases of narcissism and, and pathologies in more senior leaders globally. And we see there's different pieces of research that kind of point to that. And that isn't because they're very self-aware. It's it's because they learn the political game and they play it and they're effective to the degree of which they need to be effective to progress personally. Now, do I think those leaders are the people we should be promoting and we should be fostering in our organisations if we want them to be places where other people thrive? Then no. So you can be an effective individual leader who doesn't necessarily help those around you thrive, but hit your targets 
meet your agenda and professionally grow as in move forward and be rewarded through money, power, titles. But if we want to be, if we see effective leadership as a leader who is effective within their role and fosters other people's effectiveness and helps them to thrive, then I think that does require self-awareness. So it really depends what how we define effective leadership, I think, because a lot of organizations talk about effective leadership where self-awareness is required, but reward effective leadership where actually individuals outperform others and meet the political agenda and progress professionally, but they don't actually help others thrive. So we often talk about it as if it's one thing, but we reward one more than the other sometimes. And statistically, that that's kind of what a lot of research is suggesting to us. Do you think that organisations are changing in terms of who they want to be their leaders? Because you mentioned that that it's the about the individual versus the team and how you get a team to flourish. Do you think that organisations who may have been more about the KPIs and about how much money you can draw in, do you think there's a change? And if so, what does what does that look like? Again, yes and no. So, so no in terms of shareholders still want to see their profits increase. So that's still um, under any profit-driven organisation. That is the task we have. Now, I think the way we meet the task was previously cultivated by the industrial age and by very old styles of power use. Um, and there was, there was kind of good reasons. Not everyone was educated or had access to education or skills. People were, were given roles because their dad had the role rather than because they were particularly skilled at that. So, so the way that we did business previously has kind of set us up for a couple of things that I think is bad practice. But what, what I am seeing is that organizations realize that for sustainable profits that can where they don't get bad PR, where people stay with the business, where they're not wasting money on new recruits all the time, or they're not having to constantly like pay PR problems out, or they're not, you know, ending up in court over their practices. They are understanding that it's not just about the task of producing money, but how they produce money has a longer term impact on. And the task itself. So you could have a really great year, but are there other years set up to succeed in a sustainable way? And that really then comes back down to the relational side of leadership and the how we do things, which is where self-awareness then really links in really strongly. Do you think effective leaders can be found at all levels of organisations? 100%. For me, leadership's a social construct. It's a social agreement that we have. So there's there's kind of two main types of leaders. You have the title of leader. You get a promotion. An external body of some sort gives you authority and power and you're a leader. And then there is social leaders who influence and who create change or move people and people follow what they say. And they can be anywhere because they're social social leaders rather than title-based leaders. And I've seen them up. There was an organization I worked with and one of the what would be considered like the lowest ranking professions in that organization. The most influential leader in the whole organization existed in that profession. But when something happened, he influenced people on board or off board. If he said there was a problem, it was going to be a problem for many people. So to me, we have social leaders and we have title leaders. Ideally, you want social leaders in title positions. That's not always possible. But also, I think there's a model of shared leadership that's becoming normalized now throughout organizations, realizing that if people aren't empowered to lead within the capacity of their role and their team in different ways, you don't get optimal performance. So 
now we're thinking more about how does everybody occupy a leadership role within any level in any of the work that they're doing because it actually improves performance and then they help others improve their performance um yes yeah, so, so, so i i think it can be anywhere but i do think that there's two different styles or types of leadership in organizations i've not heard anybody articulate it in that way uh, I absolutely agree with you. And something that I picked up in, in my research was that, that you can have individuals who lead in the way that the shop stewards led in the mm. 1970s. And you're right, they are social leaders. But I've not heard anybody articulate it in title leadership and social leadership. And that's brilliant. And I'm definitely going to use that in the future to be able to explain that. So thank you very much for giving for giving me that nugget. That's really, really helpful. Do you think leaders at the most strategic level of organisations have greater self-awareness than leaders at other levels of organisations? And you have touched on this already. Yeah, so not necessarily. The question is, how did the person um, take up the more senior role or the more strategic role? And what was behind that? Was it because they helped other people thrive or was it because they themselves were able to politically navigate the landscape? What I will say is I I remember this quote from Michelle Obama in her book, something about she sat at the table with the most senior leaders in the world and they're no different to you and I. And I remember reading that thinking, that's what I've been trying to explain because I I work with really senior leaders and I also work with middle managers who are moving into senior leadership. And I work with those in more of a kind of training or development capacity, but senior leaders usually shadow consulting and coaching. It's more like, confidential and private and less people know but one of the things I've learned is they're not smarter and part of the issue for a lot of people who get to a senior role who are who have built their career and helping other people thrive is that they often think they should be more than what they are because we do we do have a little bit of this kind of um I call it fantasy of leadership. It's a bit like having the fantasy of our parents with this fantasy that if that person's leading us, well, they have to be more capable of than us because it needs to reduce our anxiety. But what I have found really harmful is that for people who have, for leaders who've really been able to support other people thriving, when they get to quite a senior leadership role, they may then doubt themselves because they've got there because they've helped others. And they've also bought into this fantasy that people at this level are somehow less human than at all the other levels that they occupied. And I think that partly is about feeding into the fantasy to relieve anxiety um, from us. Because if we knew we were being led by average people, we might be a lot more anxious throughout our lives, both politically, organisations. You know, we, we need a little bit of fantasy sometimes in our power dynamics to relieve our anxiety. But on the flip side, then it sets people up to think that they're not equipped to be a human at that level. And and so for me, I think we need to think about that a little bit, both when we put people in leadership roles and when we ourselves end up in in entitled leadership roles, we need to think about what fantasies we have about leaders. Fascinating. Uh, And you're right, because so many people don't have access to leaders because, of course, organisations are are triangular shaped and, and you have less access to people at the top who are perceived as those leaders. And yes, there is this sort of hero worship or this fantasy around leaders that they are something else but when you are in their company they are often very nice people and they are ordinary and they have ordinary lives like everybody else and so that's that's fascinating that that is so um, relevant and obvious when people are looking to move up the career ladder that that 
can be viewed as a barrier because I'm not that fantasy character. Do you think effective leaders have more self-awareness than ineffective leaders? If we define effective leaders as helping those others thrive, they need more self-awareness to be able to do that. But if we see effective leaders as people who get the job done in a solo role and navigate politically, no. In terms of your coaching experience, do you have individuals, you have that individual leadership coming to you more frequently or is it those individuals who are social leaders and looking to develop their skills or is it a mix of both or or how do your clients present in terms of that two different styles of leadership? So generally because my area is more of a relational leadership style and my approach is because of the psychodynamic piece it's kind of hard to hide in the approach Um, I tend to, to have social leaders who have taken up title roles So they've been leading and influencing for a long time, but now they have a title. So it brings a different texture to how they need to lead and present. Now, I also see that often people are sent to me um, or are encouraged to get leadership because they're being seen as kind of um, breaking down relationships or they're effective at their role, but they need to develop something. So often that kind of orientation towards leading where people are kind of um, self-serving in their leadership they come to me a lot less because it would be really challenging to work with me but they do come because they might end up in front of me for different reasons like something didn't go well at work and they can't understand why what they always did didn't work and their organization thinks they need support so I do see more of that now than I used to but generally the leaders who kind of pick me for want of a better expression, who come looking for me, even if their organisation told them they need a coach, the, the people who pick me are, are generally quite aligned with a type of leadership that's good for everybody and not just simply kind of a political feat for themselves. Generally, they have more of that. They're still ambitious, always high performers, but they have an understanding that they that they can only bring their performance to a certain level as an individual, but as a collective, they could outperform that. So generally, that's who would gravitate towards me. But I would see some of the other leaders because there's usually feedback now. We know about coaching. Organisations are saying we want more collaborative leaders. And so that they might have promoted someone or awarded someone for not being collaborative and just getting the job done and just looking after themselves. And then they get to a position and then people say, oh, we can't we can't let them do that now at that level. That won't go down well. We need to, like, get them to change their behaviour in some way. So I see both, but more so um, that kind of social leader who then takes on a title. That's mostly who I work with is people with titles. Um, but often they've been a social leader long before they step into a title role. What is your experience of leaders who come who have... Or, or are ineffective leaders but have limited self-awareness. I know I, I, I've spoken to Jackie Frost who works uh, within the area of educational leadership and she was saying that she um, spoke to a head teacher who took her around their school and um, for that period of time spoke to nobody so made no contact with their teachers, made no contact with the children and in reflecting with Jackie, they had no awareness that that in itself was a problem. Do you have experiences of anything like that where self-awareness has been so limited that getting over that first hurdle to start the journey has just not been possible? 
So, so there are people who who aren't ready for change. So, so that's one of the things I assess when I when I have my kind of free consultation. Like I'm assessing readiness for change. I'm not really assessing anything else. Um, and so usually I don't begin with them because in that call, it becomes clear that while they may say they want coaching, their idea of coaching or what they think they're going to receive or their idea of what the problem is, is so disconnected from what they would have to um, acknowledge to be able to move forward. So that that does happen. What I will say is that we all have blind spots. So there's all for all of us, we all have parts that we are really sure we don't have. <laughs> And in coaching, in my experience of working with people and being coached, those parts come into the room to to have a relationship with. Um, For me, the biggest barrier for people to be able to have that relationship with those parts, so that self-awareness, will usually come if shame has has entered the dynamic for them. So if they have any shame about um, who or how they should be, or if the self-awareness is linked to something that also brings up shame, at that point, the work is about um, diluting the shame, it, bringing the humanity back to the reality of the experience, and then we can move into self-awareness. But for me, the biggest blocker to self-awareness is actually if there's some shame associated with the part we're bringing awareness to. Oh, that's fascinating. And that's probably a whole different conversation. Sheila, it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you. Really, really interesting. And it's certainly made me think. Um, Before we go, I know that there are some really helpful resources that you can share with our listeners. Please tell us more about them. Thank you. So I send every two weeks ish, everything's ish in Ireland, right? So ish, I send an email, which is about the art and science of effective leadership. And I call it the leadership letters. Um, I include things in it from things I've seen or done or read to thought-provoking pieces of work that I might introduce into some of my coaching so that the recipient can actually think and reflect themselves on some of the questions that come up in in leadership coaching. So you can come to my website and sign up for those and you'll hear from me about every two weeks. Amazing. We will make sure that we have links to your website and your leadership letters specifically um, in the show notes. So any listeners who are interested, they can click um, and find out more. But if they want to connect with you on LinkedIn, it's Sheila Walsh, S-I-L-E Walsh. Is there anything else we should be sharing? If you're on TikTok and you're one of those brave people, I, I I fumble together on TikTok and on YouTube. So you can check them out as well. But LinkedIn is probably where I post a lot of the thought leadership that I'm working on at the moment. Brilliant. We will make sure that there are links to LinkedIn, TikTok um, and any other website and social media that we can find to make sure that you can have access to Sheila. Sheila, thank you very much once again. It's been absolutely brilliant having a conversation with you. Thanks a million. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining me, your host, Nia Thomas, at the Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast. If you'd like to know more about self-awareness, leader effectiveness and leadership at all levels, please take a look at my website, knowingselfknowingothers.co.uk. You can also join me on YouTube, LinkedIn or Twitter. Make sure you bookmark the Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast and tune into the next episode in two weeks time. I look forward to having you on my learning journey. If you'd like to join me as a guest on the Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast, please drop me a line at info at knowingselfknowingothers.co.uk. 
If you'd like to advertise your podcast, book or company connected to self-awareness, leader effectiveness or leadership at all levels, please drop me a line at the same email. Please remember to bookmark the Knowing Self, Knowing Others podcast so that you can keep up to date with all new episodes. Remember to rate this podcast on whichever directory you listen. Knowing Self, Knowing Others is available to listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Podcast Index, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Talking Casts.